If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Do you know about Grapes the Wine Company? Grapes is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They offer a remarkable selection of wines and spirits. The breadth and depth of their inventory is astounding. Add in an unparalleled level of expertise and customer service, and you could see why other retailers are green with envy. Through their extensive and ever-growing network of relationships from around the world, Grapes the Wine Company offers the opportunity to discover the newest and most exciting wines and revisit the classics from both established and emerging wine regions. Grapes features a selection of over 4,000 wines and spirits. The Wall Street Journal has called Grapes one of the most influential retailers in the U.S., and it rings true to this day. Wine is a joyful thing, and Grapes the Wine Company exists to connect people with the choices bottles. Ordering is super simple using their easy-to-navigate website or go old school and call to speak with one of their wine consultants for an in-depth feedback for your wine and spirits needs. Call them at 914-397-9463. That's 914-397-WINE. Or email your general inquiries to info at grapesthewineco.com. That's info at grapes, T-H-E-W-I-N-E-C-O.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the fourth generation of his family to play an instrumental role in the fine wine and spirits realm in the United States. He's Director of Business Development at Taub Family Selections and at their NYC-based wholesale business, Independence Wine and Spirits. Everybody, welcome Jake Taub. Uh, Jake graduated from Cornell University in 2019, where he studied business, viticulture, and enology. During and after school, he studied on the ground in both France and Italy. He's completed internships at Palm Bay International and Wine Enthusiasts. In 2020, he joined IWS as a key account manager and was quickly, that's quickly, 
It's a double for me, guys, so sometimes these words are going to slur. Quickly promoted to director of business development, and Jake has increased national sales at his family's proprietary California wineries, Saracena and Mendocino, and Taub Family Vineyards in Napa Valley. Welcome, Jake. Thank you, MJ. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I earned those, uh, those, uh, those promotions. It wasn't nepotism, <laughs> despite the family company. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into that because yeah. I, I, a theme I tell people all the time, even if you have a break, like you have to work. And this is not a business where you can just bullshit. Like you got to work. Yeah. You know, it's just not, you know, essentially importing whatever. It's hospitality. You have to work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get into that. <laughs> but I love that. He's, he's like, let me just deal with the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell everybody about the wine we're drinking this afternoon. So I brought some sparkling wine. Okay. It seems like a nice day outside, although I decided to drink it yesterday when it was a little bit colder. Uh, it's from Travellini, you know, the funny shaped bottle. Mm-hmm. Alto Piedmont. Yeah, the Gattinara. The Gattinara. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and these are like the OG producers in Alto Piemonte. Uh, they produce 100% Nebbiolo, high elevation, cooler climate. And this is just an experimental project called Nebole, which is 100% sparkling wine, Methodo Classico, uh, Padose, so no, no, dosha, no dosage. And this is their 84 months on the lease. So they just kind of experimented. They're super- Let me do my math. That's seven years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they do. And I just in Italy a couple of weeks ago. I tried the 120, which they only they're just experimenting with this stuff. So I convinced them to send me uh, maybe like a hundred bottles or so, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think it's freaking delicious. So I just wanted to bring it. And I love Jake bringing the flex bottle. Thank you for bringing something unique that you know there's not a lot of. I really do appreciate that. Is that a flex bottle? That it's kind of a flex. Okay. I mean, not, not you know. And in in the most unpretentious way, it's not like, hey, I brought the most expensive bottle of wine in our portfolio. I read, you know, it's it's like yeah, yeah, it's it's a flex. I'm like, oh, I, I'm an importer, and I'm like the fourth generation to do this, and we have contacts. And I was at Vanilla. You know? Um, what is the grape one? Is what one hundred percent Nebbiolo? It is Nebbiolo. Yes, yeah, so I, I thought I, I like I didn't want to assume. Wow, so it, it's, it's a blanc de noir. It's a yeah, it's it's a blanc de noir. Wow, yeah. it is it is a white from black. Yeah, kind of like me. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in, uh, when I tried this with someone who worked for me, uh, we were in Italy over the summer, and we did like a whole tasting of these. And she said it was Solosi, and she's a total champagne. Geek. Oh wow! And I was like, all right, that's a pretty big compliment. That's a pretty big compliment. one of my favorite yeah. champagnes. So yeah. yeah, that's a huge compliment. Yeah. All right, man. So we like to start at the beginning. So um, you are the fourth generation. Um, of of the Taub family, so let's let's talk about in the business. I think yeah, in the business, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for you, um, where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City. Okay, so you're, so you're yeah. a city kid. Okay, I was a Sutton Place kid for the first four years of my life. Um, we lived on 59th and Sutton Place, and so we looked right at the 59th Street Bridge. Nice. And so my first word was tram. Okay, because yeah. they had the tram going from Roosevelt Island. Well, well, yeah. yeah. And then I moved to 67th and Lex when I was six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, did you do- um, A lot of drugs? Yeah. Well, you did the whole, you did the whole, uh, you know, I had Capon on, like, and Lyle Fest. You did the whole New York prep school kind of scene, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Went to an all boys school for the first kindergarten through ninth grade, you know, 45 uh, kids in a grade, except our mascot, surprisingly, was the unicorns. That's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. That wait, 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 wait. What year was this? I just this, I graduated in 2012, and I was there for 10 years. The unicorns. Yeah, I we mean, had a unicorn in the middle of our basketball court. Dude, dude, that is. I could get in trouble. Why? <laughs> Who thought that? <laughs> so supposedly, there's a lot of rumors around yeah, it. We like, gotta, we gotta unpack this. Supposedly, <laughs> there was like a, it was a class prank that voted on it in the 70s. Except then the school kind of tried to convert it when they talk about it to be like it means stronger than a stallion. And I was like, I don't know. If that's what it means. <laughs> so yeah, wait, wait. So 70s. Okay, so somebody was dropping acid. Yeah, somebody was dropping. Somebody acid. was dropping acid. They came up with this this great idea. Wait, and they're like, yeah, it's better to stallion. Yeah. Well, you know what? A unicorn can stab a stallion in the eye with its yeah, horn. So I, I guess. Know. I don't know. Was, and, then, and then the other all-boys schools would call us the purple unicorns, and our colors were blue and gold. It, it was yeah, a very was easy say, target. Like, it, you know? it, like, I mean, like, it was, I'm, there was a, probably a lot of now politically incorrect jokes th- hurled at your, at your athletes. Oh, yeah. You got no idea. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Unicorns have, like, these rainbow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Horns on their yeah, yeah. You should have seen. It was tough for the uh, kids on the wrestling team. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, um, safe to assume. Um, and is your, is your dad Mark? My father's Mark. Mark. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. With a C, not a K. Yeah. With yeah. a C. Yeah. Um, very French. Um, and um, just shot real quick. We'll get into later. But he was you got he was won an award. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he did. This year, he won the Wine Star Award Person of the Year from Wine Enthusiasts, yeah. which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. So safe to say, though, um, there was always wine on the table with meals at your house. Always. Yeah. I've been drinking since I was about six. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very European, everybody. Just chill. All right? That's what they say, but yeah. I think it's concerning at the same time. Yeah. It- <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> we, we weren't like it wasn't like the easy way into it in the European households where like you stick your yeah, finger in it when you're five. It was oh. like, all right, here's a glass, drink it, and tell me what you think. You know? <laughs> they were like putting you to work. <laughs> but we also had the smell kits. Remember the yeah, what they called um, Lene do something. Um, it was it was a whole big. They sold it at Ackerman's there. It was like it was a wooden case and it had sandalwood. It had it had like samples of all these essential oils, so you could. Uh, Develop exactly. your palate, yeah. So we used those. Uh, I didn't think it was very helpful at all. I thought that it all kind of smelled like a clusterfuck of like weird scents. Yeah. And there was nothing that was accurate about wine in that, but we had one. Yeah. And it was used to try and get us, because I was just like, I tasted it, but until I, was, until I was nine, and then I was like chugging it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm like, nah, I'm not spending anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> wow. So you grew up with the rigor of like having to taste wine, which is something most people don't get. And you're still in the business. So, like, you majored, you went to Cornell. Yeah. All right. So, did you go there? Your major was enology, viticulture, and business. I created my own major. Okay. So, because they didn't really have what I wanted to do. They have a great viticulture program, probably best in the country alongside UC Davis. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to travel when I was there. And I also wanted to be able to take business courses. And you w- didn't really start talking about wine when you were there. You're going to kill me for saying this until two years <laughs> into the program. And then you were just with the pre med students for the first two years. And so I took the minor of viticulture and enology and business. So I could kind of create my own major and then took two semesters to travel in France and Italy. And I learned more in those four years than I ever have. It was unbelievable. All right. So let's, um, let's talk about traveling. So, like, so. 
you created your own major, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I would have to assume you must have done some travel with your family younger, but like, what was it like to travel on your own to these places? It's very different. Yeah. I mean, I've been traveling uh, to these, some of these wine regions for a long time. Like when I was a high school senior, we went to the Bahamas as like a, a senior trip with everyone uh, from I, New York. This is, what I, I, is this is like as a public school kid. And I'm, I'm not I mad. Mean, like, there are public school kids there too. Yeah. I, yeah but like, but fucking New York prep school, like they, that's like, they're crazy. Like, yeah, we're going to the Bahamas. Or After we're, senior we're, trip. We're, we're going, we're going to France to ski. <laughs> well, no, there's no France skiing. So everyone went to the Bahamas. <laughs> And then everyone went to Miami, and I skipped the Miami part as because I was so dedicated. Yeah, um, and went straight to Vanitaly. Um And I was and that was the fourth year or so that I did it, and I was a senior in high school, and I kind of just sat there silently watching negotiations and meetings between my dad and his team and some of the winery partners, and visiting them and building good relationships with them. And then my junior year in college, I was in uh, Florence, and every Thursday I'd leave and go see another producer in Italy, and I was there alone. Um, Luckily, the Italians and our producers in particular are the most hospitable people in the world. So they made me feel right at home. But it was different. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Um, <clears throat> I had to speak. You had to speak. <laughs> so how many languages do you speak? One and a half. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> no, I speak a little bit of French. I speak a little bit of Italian. My Italian is getting much better. Um, and I speak English. All right. I I think I speak English is a blessing and a curse. Why you say that? I'm just curious. Because everyone defaults to English. And so you go and you try to learn the language. Oh and yeah. And they want to, they want to speak to you. They want to improve their English. They want to improve their English. Right. Um, in Italy, I made the mistake of not dating an Italian. Yeah. What's wrong with you? And in <laughs> France, I, um, dated a French girl for a little bit and my French got really good. And then I was also with our friend Jean-Luc Colombo and spent some weekends with him and you have to learn French when you're staying with Oh Jean-Luc. my God, yeah, we'll, we'll get into Jean-Luc later. It's so <laughs> funny. Jake, Jake, I was at a tasting with Jean-Luc and he was off the rails. It was awesome. <laughs> with Robert De Niro <laughs> yeah, in the back. Yeah, he, like, he wanted to... <laughs> let's tell the story. Yeah, he wanted... So we're at... Uh, the Mark. The Mark by Jean-Georges. And I, I went home and told my wife, I was like, baby, I had I had lunch with Bobby. She's like, what? I was like, I had lunch with Bobby De Niro. She's like, it was. I was like, no, he's right there. I was like, literally, he was. He was like six feet away. I had lunch with him. She's like, no. I was like, but John Luke saw him, and like, it was noisy as hell. And he like, it was so noisy. And John Luke didn't want the the the, the gates closed. He insisted on keeping the door open, <laughs> the door open. during the tasting, yeah. even though there was a loud restaurant, right, right. just so John uh, Robert De Niro and him could have yeah. some sort of Bromance, eye contact while he was giving yeah. his yeah. speech and, and talking gave him about a bottle his wines. of wine. And everything. So it was, but it was like like Jake was like, "Hey, can we close?" He's like, "Close the door to the to the psalm." And John, no, no, no. We kept trying to close <laughs> it because nobody it. could hear, but yeah. he kept saying, "No, no, no, no." Until Robert De Niro left, and then he was happy. To yeah. Close the door. <laughs> um, and then also, it's just funny to see, um, you know, I mean. Like he's known you since you're a kid, so like, on one level, he kind of treats you like a kid. He was like, you were like, he was, he was, he was going on a political commentary, and he's like, how about the terror? Jake's like, how about the terroir? And he's like, oh, little Jakey, this, this is about the terroir. This is about the terroir. <laughs> this is yeah. about the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Was, <laughs> if you use irrigation, you are Putin. Yeah, like, yeah. John, look, yeah. please, 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 please. please. Look, the, the wine, the wine. <laughs> Trying to um, rein him back in. Yeah, but uh, he's an amazing, amazing. He's honestly the clo- both my grandpas passed away, and at this point, he's 
probably the closest thing I have to a grandpa. And so he calls himself the French grandpa with yeah. me, the French grandpa. Mm. Um, so, but he's always entertaining. Yeah. No, I, 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 I love shit like that. I was like, this is off the chain. This is so awesome. <laughs> yes. Actually, you know his favorite movie, Django Unchained. Every time I go to Cornelius, he shows that. He calls himself Columbo Unchained. <laughs> yeah. He has a whole video, Columbo Unchained, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> what was it like? Being at Cornell, I mean, you travel, but like you grew up in New York City, and you're you're out in Bumblefuck, mm -hmm. you know, upstate New York. Yeah, what was that like? Was it was it tough or was it easy? Just because you know, I mean, I made some amazing friends at Cornell. I built some great relationships with professors, but it was fucking freezing. Yeah, I mean, it's cold. And, I mean, yeah. it's, it's butt ass cold up. And there. you know, they do a great job. They have this bus that goes. Uh, from the middle of campus three times a day. I remember 10, 10, 12, 40, and 5, 30. And I'd always see it leaving and it would go it would go directly from the middle of campus right to 69th in York where the Cornell campus is in New York where the hospital is, which was two blocks away from my house. And every time I saw it, cause it's like 20 degrees cold up there, I was like, I gotta hop on this bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was fun. It was fun. We had a great time up there. Yeah, I mean, um, and while you were up there, were like, were you like the guy who, like, would you know, would your dad send you like samples, and you like, you know, were you like the go-to guy for food and wine, or not really? I mean, the hotel school up there is pretty, yeah, old, like infamous, and so there were much, there there were a thousand of me. It felt like, um, I mean, my dad did send us wine at my house more so my sister than me i mean she she would walk in like she she they still have wine and her, she's graduating tonight um but her house she'd get like 10 cases of wine at a time great shit too he sent me like the closeouts <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well they say there's a special relationship between a father and a daughter you know i'm actually listening to dave grohl's book right now and he has like three three doors and he says there's just like you know there's just you can't most influential man. So your dad's like your sister will will never be with someone who doesn't have great taste in wine. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's 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 go back to like growing up. So how many are, are in your immediate family? How many is in your family? I just have a younger sister. You just have a younger sister. Okay. Yeah. So it's just the four of you guys. The four of us. Um, and what does your mom do? My mom is a great mother. She's a mom. Yeah. yeah. She's an unbelievable mother. Yeah. Um, she used to do decoupage. She used to actually cover uh, a lot of the ice buckets like this that we had in our mm -hmm. house with uh, old school French posters mm -hmm. with glue. And she collects shells and she paints and uh, she's terrific. She held down the culture in the house. Huh? She held down the court in the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, your sister, who's graduating today, uh, what is she majoring? What's her? Is she planning to come in the business, or is she just off on her own, going to do something else? She studied international relations in French. Um, she's interested in the business. She came to her first one in Italy two weeks ago, which was a great experience for her. She loves the business. She just says she doesn't know if she wants to work with her brother. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the... Uh, but she's going to come into the business eventually. <laughs> she's studying for her LSAT right now, which is good. Cause oh, let expensive. her talk to me. She don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, she whatever. Fucking go to law school, get the degree. It won't hurt. It yeah. won't hurt. So, But you know, she's not going to practice law. Yeah. She'll just be able to um, be a better negotiator. 
of yeah. contracts. And the international relations thing is Absolutely. huge in this business, yeah. especially on the importing tier. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, we have so much to talk about. Um, so <clears throat> when you were in France and Italy, was were you doing internships or were you just uh, studying abroad? So was it just like a Cornell had a relationship with the university over there? Yeah, Cornell had relationships with two universities, one in Florence, one in Paris. Okay. And then I was in those cities from Monday to Thursday and I'd leave on Thursdays. Okay. And then I'd go to wine regions and meet our suppliers and okay. spend time with the winery owners and the winemakers and kind of just introduce myself. It wasn't about business. It was just about kind of starting a relationship. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. So how'd you get up involved in Bordeaux working for... Uh... Christian. Yeah, Christian. Um... I met Christian a couple times. Um, oh, and I'm sorry, just for like the beginner listeners who we have, um, tell them Christian's full name and who he is. Christian Moex is uh, one of the great gentlemen of the wine business. Um, he, his father owned Petrus, and he was the winemaker at Petrus for many, many years. Um, and he really made it what it is um, from a qualitative perspective and really built that winery what it is today. And then he owns several wineries on the right bank of Bordeaux, including Trottenois, Le Grave, um, La Flore Petrus, uh, among others. And then he also has a negociant business called Jean-Pierre Moex. Um, and I met him a few times uh, prior to uh, going to work for him for a little bit. I wasn't there for a long time, but it was still a great experience. Um, he, we sell, we import his wines from the right bank, Le Grave and Osana. Um, and I just hit it off with him since the first time I met him and his wife, Charisse is terrific. And his son is, Edouard is awesome. And I just always respected the shit out of him. He's a great guy. His wines are always awesome. Whether it's, it's with Dominus in California or La Flor Petrus or Osana in, in Pomerol, he's just, he's, he's a king. And I always looked up to him and he, one time we were having lunch at his house, uh, in during it was I was studying in Paris at the time and he invited me to come down for a harvest during on premiere which is actually going on right now and he told me about how they do on premiere and all this stuff and I mean how they do harvest and I said yes and I signed up right there and I went there for a month or so and it was epic yeah yeah so um <clears throat> two things so um and it's just because I think there are people like tell people about what it, Petrus is, Petrus is uh, like considered a first growth, but not a first growth. And it's, um, tell them what the grape is because people. 100% Merlot. Yeah. Yeah. Don't listen to Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to be drinking some fucking Merlot. Like, yeah. No, I love Merlot. Well, love when it's it. done right, there's nothing, is, is there anything better? Because, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, 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 it's one of the great wines of the world. Yeah. It's, it, it is one um, of the great wines of the world. Yeah, and then um, and then um, he came to California and Dominus, which uh, you know, can tell people just about Dominus. Yeah, like I said, we have, we have all I mean, levels. I mean, my to... Dominus is one of my favorite wineries and one of my favorite wines consistently out of Napa Valley. And I don't, again, I don't sell this wine. I'd, yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, um, if you're listening, <laughs> you're listening, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in Yantville, um, the Napa Nook Estate, Christian bought it from Rob, uh, Robin Lale in the 80s. And uh, he's uh, a lot of great people have gone through that winery, like David Ramey. And he's trained legends through there and consistently makes one of the most elegant, drinkable, balanced wines from Napa Valley year after year. Mm. Actually, last year's wine was the wine of the year for Wine uh, Spectator, number one. Yeah. 2018 vintage. Yeah. 
And so, like, he, you got to work with him. Um, was that was I that was your, in the the cellar? Well, I was picking grapes a lot. Right. I was say, was that your first harvest? Yeah. So 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 you know, here you go, Sutton Place kid. Tell me how hard harvest is for all people who have these romantic notions about being a winemaker. It was fun because we part we partied every night, but uh, it was it, w- it was hard work. Um, I was in better shape than I ever have been during that, and I had a baguette every morning um, <laughs> with a lot of butter. Um, and I was actually in, and then I did the pump overs and, and did some of the uh, viticulture project uh, process in a, at Chateau Le Grave. And uh, there was another gentleman there who was the other stagiaire who was from Greece. And we were the only two non-Frenchmen in the entire winery during harvest because you have all these like 40 or 50 old school French people coming from all over the country coming Mm -hmm. to harvest every year because he takes such good care of his vendangers, they call them the harvesters. And they called us La Cave Cosmopolitique because we were like the Greek kid in the Upper East Side New Yorker. And like, it was funny. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> was that your um, first and last harvest? Have you worked any more harvests anywhere around the world? I haven't, unfortunately, because that was in 19. Okay. Um, and then uh, COVID kind of yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will be doing our harvest out in California this year um, alongside our team out there because I haven't experienced a harvest since we've owned these wineries. So I look forward to that. Very nice. Very nice. So <clears throat> when you were abroad, and then you came back to Cornell. What was like, like one of the biggest takeaways that you like brought back to your studies? So the first, when I was a junior, I went abroad in the spring, right? Okay. Came back from Italy, did the summer um, back in New York, worked a little bit. And then I was a senior in the fall. And I was like, fuck, I got to go abroad again. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went abroad in the spring to Paris, but I finished all my credits. Um, okay. Uh, and so I had an opportunity to sit, either take whatever class I want at Cornell in the spring or go abroad again. And I felt like I gained such a great knowledge on the Italian wine scene and the Italian wine business that I wanted to do it in France. And that's kind of what happened. Um, but it, it's two different worlds, working at wineries and visiting wineries, and then going to Ithaca and sitting in on those wine classes and talking about like hybrid grapes that already even Vitis vinifera that they're cultivating um, in almost a scientific way at mm-hmm. the labs that they have in Geneva and in Ithaca. Um, so, but I think it gave me some perspective um, and gave me, gave me some application to those classes to apply the stuff I was learning to. Um, so, yeah. So <clears throat> who started um, <clears throat> Tau Family Selections? Mm. Complicated question. <clears throat> <clears throat> the fuck? Well, dude, dude, <laughs> I've been talking nonstop since last. No, Wednesday. we coughed at the same I know, time. I know, I was like, I know. that was crazy. That was it was amazing. We both yeah. turned away. You're a pro. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, Top Family Selections was started in '18, but it was an iteration of Palm Bay International, which is our family's volumetric business. Um, 1918. No. Uh, uh, 2000. Oh, sorry, 2018. Okay. Yeah, but it oh, came but out pa- of Palm, Palm Bay. Bay. Okay, so let's go so, back. Palm Bay. Who started right. Palm Bay? So Palm Bay was started in 77 by my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Okay. And literally that out of Florida? Was it out of, or just, they just, no, they just, uh, like, but, you know, they were, they used to go to Florida. They, they went, my great-grandfather lived in Florida, yeah. um, and it was always incorporated in Florida. Um, okay. Yeah, but my great-grandfather, his brothers started in the business before Prohibition, and him. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So they were bootleggers during Prohibition. Um, they were uh, making whiskey and selling it. There were five of them. They each had a different role in the company. My great-grandfather was one of them. He was the sales guy, my great-grandfather. <laughs> um, there was the producer. There was the glass, the guy who was in charge of glass and, and, and bringing all that stuff. And then there was a logistics person and a, like a, a, I forget what the fifth brother did. But uh, two of them were uh, arrested Mm-hmm. Um, spent a hundred days in jail, which at that time was paid a hundred dollar fine, which was a lot of money at the time. And then that was Abner and Jacob, and they were both pardoned by FDR, so they couldn't get a liquor license after Prohibition, which is why my great grandfather was able to get a liquor license after Prohibition. Uh, the day after became uh, the day after Prohibition was repealed in thirty three, became uh, a distributor in New York. Um, soon after that, he uh, started a relationship with Ernest Gallo. Ernest Gallo came in, uh, was he was famous for his surveys, Ernest Gallo of the retailers in New York, and he kept seeing Lafayette brandy, which was my great-grandfather's brandy everywhere in New York, and so tracked him down, and my grandfather said, uh, you know, my great-grandfather said, what do you think? And he took a sip and said, spit it out right in front of him and said, I couldn't uh, make a whiskey that bad if I tried. <laughs> and... Uh, Later that afternoon, my grandfather, my great grandfather, walked out with an order to distribute the Gallo brandies in New York, which he was the next Gallo distributor for the next fifty years. E and J Brandy. That was my great grandfather's name. My my my, my great my grandfather came up with the name E and J. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we have a long history with the Gallos, and it turned into many iterations. And we got into the importing business after we left the distribution business. And, and um, world. I know he's trying to fast forward, but like. The Gallo brothers <clears throat> arguably are why we have a wine industry in America. Absolutely. Gallo brothers and Bob and Davi. Yeah. Um, and your root, that's, that is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. My producer, I'm not going to date her, but um, she loved her some E&J wine coolers. <laughs> she loves she loves some Bartles and James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember my, that's how my dad started was stacking Bartles and James. You know? Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, like Bartles and James. Um, that's exactly what it was. You know, we didn't really fall for the white claw shit. That's basically our white claw was Bartles and James and yeah. Zima. We didn't fall for it, but you, you, your your generation, these yeah, youngins fell, right here, we fell for it. They, they told you, yeah. That. <laughs> I was really close. I was at the Yankee game on Tuesday night, and I was really close to getting one of those big Bud Light Seltzers. <laughs> I didn't, though. I, want I had a Bud Light. Okay, so. good for you. <laughs> well, it would have been market research for you. Um, yeah. Wow. So <clears throat> they become distributors, and you have a, a long history with the Gallo family. Yep. Um, the company was called Gallo Wine Distributors in New York. Okay. Yeah, that was the first name. That was the first company. name. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then, um, how did your family come to begin representing all these estates? You know, you you guys represent some amazing estates in France, Italy, also around the world. Like, how how did that? Who who? Which one of your um, predecessors uh, was the person who started just going around, hitting the streets, yeah. visiting wineries? That was my grandpa. Uh, my grandpa David uh, was touring the Italian uh, landscape, and uh, at the time in the '70s, the only Italian wines in uh, 
in America was Chianti wrapped in straw and cheap swab. And a fiasco. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he was in Trentino and came across a, across a grape called Pinot Grigio. Um, and he thought that the style of the wine was very much in the American palate. It was crisp. It was clean. It was easy drinking. It had nice acid. And so he called at the time uh, Mel Dick, who is now the head of wine and one of the most influential guys in the wine business historically um, in America. And said, and he, and he said, Mel, you know, I think I found something that could be really interesting for for the American wine business and really take the Italian wine business in America to the next level. It's called Pinot Grigio. And he said, David, this Pinot's Grignots. What, what, what? No one's going to be able to say this. Um, he ended up bringing in Cavit Pinot Grigio. At the time it was called Cavit with a apostrophe over the A. And what year was this roughly? 77. So this is... Before Santa Margarita became a big thing, we were the first. We were the my grandfather was the first person to bring Santa uh, to bring Pinot Grigio to the United States. Holy shit! And he he was right on. And yeah, uh, so it was called Cavit, and they got rid of the apostrophe, and it was called Cavit. And then in seventy eight, you'll probably appreciate this. Um, soon thereafter, he brought in Dick Cavit, who was the you know the the late night man of, yeah, of, yeah, the, of the time. Yeah, yeah. And they came up with a simple advertising campaign that was ask for Cavit, our Cavit, as in Cavit. And it became massive success and is still the best-selling Italian brand in America to this day. So Dick Cavit is the first wine influencer. He, 100%. 100%. Yep. Shit. Fucking around with the Taub family. This is going to be a dope one. <laughs> <laughs> This is OG shit, motherfucker. It's OG shit, absolutely. Yeah. And we're drinking the OG shit from yeah. people. I mean, this is like... Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know this story? No. Why no. Would I, why would yeah. I, I mean, all I, know from, all I know is like Sammy Davis Jr. did those Mano Mano Shevitz commercials. And I remember <laughs> Rio Nidio on Ice, Boy, That's Nice, and, yeah. and, and uh, Matus Rosé and, and the, 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 the bottle that ended up being like a candle holder in the dorms and shit. But like no, that's why that's why I love having these. Com- I mean, just I knew you, that your family was influential. But this is the things that we unpack, and you know, I think in this world, you know, you are you are the influential generation. I mean, this is your generation. Um, but I, I, what I what I'm hoping is people understand these stories. Like these are ground. Like these are these are stories that like you're just not gonna get from someone who's out there talking about their natural wine and shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you don't get there's you don't you don't get to have a natural wine movie unless the Taubes bring Pinot Grigio to fucking United States. To some extent, absolutely. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Listen, because wine. Listen, wine had to be. You your family is one of those families that's influential in making wine popular right so like yeah there there would be natural wine but there wouldn't be no form to even sell it that's all i'm saying like, yeah we'd have wine here mm-hmm. you know i mean just like if white zinfandel saved the california wine industry saved a lot of old vines yeah absolutely you know so people need to say that when they poo poo white zinfandel <laughs> first real wine <laughs> i could have brought a bottle of white zinfandel right? that could have been fun too that would have been fun. <laughs> um okay so um you start this campaign with Dick Cavett. Yeah. Um, uh, so then what was, uh, what was like you say, the next big play for your family after like kind of introducing Pinot Grigio to the American market? 
Um, after that, well, at the time we were still distributors. So we had a company called Premier Wine and Spirits, which was our distributor in New York. I remember how, when did that go on? We sold that. So that we sold that to Southern in 2004, which yeah, I was like, Southern I remember Premier when I worked at Acre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. them the beverage media. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was us, there was Charmer and, yep. Charmer. Uh, <laughs> and the other guy. Um, and the, and we were the, the big three. Yeah. We were the third biggest wholesaler and the other two guys were the number one and two. We had Bacardi and some other things. It was a very different world back then. You know? Yeah, it was. It was. It was about. <clears throat> I mean, even back then, still like by and by, it was liquor. You know. Yeah. I mean, we had John Capon on. You know, and he's told like when his grandfather had a business, like, like they're like, "What? You don't have bl- blackberry schnapps?" Like it was. It was like very much driven by spirits. And then his father, when Michael took over, he started more with the wine. But even then, like. A lot of the wines now that are super allocated, like you couldn't give them away. Nobody wanted. Oh no, 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 no. We actually we sold some of the like some of the higher. Like it's funny. Like I remember we used to sell some of the from what I I talk about with my dad and just because I I like to see what he thinks about the distribution business today in New York. And you know some of the big names in terms of the fine wine business in New York now are, are companies like Bowler and yep. uh, Skernick and Polaner and yep. Doug Polaner's wife was actually our best. Uh, fine wine sales rep oh wow and then we actually i think we distributed some of those chronic wines at some point too yeah 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 but I both, mean, they both have great portfolios yeah i mean but that's like but you i mean that's again like so you had we had kevin's rally on and you know skernick michael skernick worked there and then you know he left started skernick and then you know david bowler and doug polana worked at cernick there's like places you work in new york where where um a lot of people come out. A of, lot of people come out. Of, totally, like, yeah. Like a farm system. You were talking about like you want to be a shortstop. Like there's a farm system. Right? Absolutely. With with wine. and Yeah. Uh, I can't figure out what the farm system of today is. I think it's less consolidated today than it used to be. Like Windows of the World. Like Andrew Robinson, yeah, for example. Yeah. Exactly. Came out of there. Yeah. Came exactly. out of there. Yep. A lot of other people. Yeah. Tons um, of people. Um, it is different. <clears throat> I think. And I don't know if it's different for the better. I mean, I think you can. You can. There's more opportunity in that you can position yourself, but I think people really got trained up. I mean, people really worked with OGs, for lack of a better term. Like, you, you got trained up before you went out and did things versus, I mean, there's something about just being brazen, but like. Yeah. But well, like, the market's much more evolved today, too. So, and because it's more evolved, there's more options, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's so small. I mean, I think about like. You know, I had uh, John Bonet on. He's married to Valerie, and Valerie was like the top reasoning spirit. Like, Every at at certain level, sorry everybody. At a certain level, every, there's just a there is just like this interconnection of where people worked back in the day. I think that's probably changing now. Yeah, you it's know? very ancestral. Yeah, very ancestral. Yeah. you know. Yeah, because and I tell, let's be honest. How many? There's not a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of Michelin star restaurants in the world. So if you think you you saw the Psalm movie, you're gonna become a, a Psalm at a Michelin star restaurant. Like, it's like. Trying to make the NBA or trying to make the NFL, like yep. it, it's like a very high level, um, very high level thing. You know what? We're gonna take a quick break right now, Jake, and then we're gonna come back and uh, we're gonna just we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna probe Jake for more great stories about uh, about Taub and independence and uh, and uh, what he sees for the future. All right, I hope I could offer some insights. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll be right back. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, 
IWS is owned by the Tao family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrones from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Hey, are you looking to order that special bottle you had on vacation? Uh, do you need to find a bourbon your boss has never tried? How about wrapped bottle gifts for teachers, coaches, or your sales force? Grapes the Wine Company can provide all this and more. They do Zoom tastings, winemaker dinners, wine-driven charity events, seller consultations, and stellar suggestions. They do it all. Did we mention Burgundy? If you left your heart and bone... There's no better stateside destination to shop for red and white Burgundy, not to mention the great wines of France, Italy, Germany, the U.S., and Spain. That's GrapesTheWineCo.com. Okay, we're back. So, um, we're kind of talking about the growth of the business, grandfather. Um, So... When did your father, Mark, with a C, with a C, take over? Uh, never. Uh, well, he was working alongside my grandfather for uh, a long time, mm-hmm. um, but he was into the bit. He knew he wanted to work f- with his dad from he from the time he could remember. Wow. Um, but when he was in college, he went to go work for a winery in Spain, uh, Faustino at the time. I know Faustino. Yeah, yeah. So that was our brand, and then they also. I believe, if I'm getting the story right, they own Sigilo, which was that Spanish wine, because I still see bottles from the 60s around. It's like wrapped in that uh, canvas-y yes. paper. Yeah. And so when he was growing up, his dog's name was Sigilo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was kind of in charge of, of, of building the distribution business while my grandfather built the import portfolio. Okay. So he built the conveyor belt system that they have in Syosset and really helped streamline logistics at the warehouse that they had out there. Um, and my grandfather started building the fine wine uh, import portfolio, and he did that alongside my dad in the 80s and the 90s. And they got producers like uh, Bertani, uh, um Travellini was a little bit later. Um, uh, at the time, there were some other uh, Ferrari, mm-hmm. um, a lot of other producers. Yeah, I mean, we could we could probably take fifteen minutes and let you just run down your book of like. Um, I was hoping you were going to bring some uh, Domaine Britannia. Oh yeah, yeah, Eva on the podcast. Noir, yeah, Eva on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, and then you also represent uh, um, Mastro Berardino. Yeah, you had Piero. Piero, <clears throat> but these—that's actually a newer relationship. But that was a relationship. It's funny how this business works because my grandfather wanted to do business with Mastro Berardino twenty-five years ago, and we signed on Mastro Berardino in two thousand nineteen. So it was a twenty-year courtship. Wow, but you know, t- there's something. There's I love the parallels though because. Um, we had Piero on, like you said, like, do you have a, 
does somebody in your family have a picture or have you preserved the pardon from from FDR? Like, yeah, we have a whiskey called Jacob's Pardon. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it all yeah. makes sense now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Piero had letters for like from importers in New York that he shared with us, like 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 pro- prohibition's about to end. We want to represent you. Yeah. Um, like and like cats from like Dallas, Texas, like places you wouldn't even think about like importing wine. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, it's it's amazing because I, Piero in particular, I mean, that winery, forget about the historic significance that it had on Southern Italian viticulture and enology, but they were the first people to really start exporting wine from a fine winery. That's what he Italy. said. Yeah, like, like yeah, his, like, his grandfather. And it wasn't just America. They were, I mean, in Asia. Yeah, they got Africa. on boats. They got on boats. There was no planes, man. And so he dedicated, he, last time I was there, I mean, I've only been there once because we've only had the brand for a few years, but... He dedicated. He built a whole museum in honor of the three generations that came uh, before him and built the business. And the documents and the archives they have is absolutely amazing. And he's a professor by uh, by nature, by study. And so the way he, that he talks about wine and talks about his family and the history of Southern Italy and the way that he represents it is very professorial. What's the word? Professor. Pro, pro, I can't professor, say professorial. I'm, I'm now like two bottles in. Yep. Pro, pro, I yeah, you had the bottle. Professorial. Professorial. Pro, yeah. <clears throat> okay, add it to my least favorite Pre- word. Professor. Yeah. Professor Oriel. Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> guys, it's so funny. The past two pot, I'm like, my throat. I don't have COVID. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, why? I understand the business side uh, of your. Your major, but uh, what 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 made you choose enology and viticulture? I mean, like, just to understand better, like, I'm mean, gonna put it like, why did you choose those? Like, your family imports and distributes wine. Why why did you study enology and viticulture? Well, I think well, we've been around. Like, you know, we talk about this history, and like, we've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think we've been around for a long time, which means we've been able to survive a long time. Um, in a business that people sell off of, especially in America, not not in, at the wineries in Europe or wherever else in the world, but in America, like there's not a lot of importers that have been around for multiple generations. They're like, we'll take that two hundred million dollars big conglomerate, <laughs> yeah, or something, or they sell yeah, the brands yeah, or whatever it is. On, you know, yeah. there's change, but we like staying, like we want to pass it on. You know, yeah, it's, it's something that. that we take pride in. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that we've been able to do that is because we have kind of a 360 view of the business because we've kind of done all the aspects of the business. So we've been a distributor. We've been an importer. Now we're a producer. You've been bootleggers. Bootleggers. <laughs> we've done spirit. So it's like we have a a 360-degree view of the business that allows us to be good at all of those aspects. Mm. So we were, were we became a good importer because we were a good distributor. Yeah, We're a good distributor because we know – what it's like to be a good supplier. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was important to maintain and build upon our winery relationships that we've had for many generations to understand what they do. And what they do is produce wine. And I wanted to understand that on a deeper level. And my dad wanted to invest in California in our own production. I don't, I, I love that. That's dope. So here you are. <clears throat> what the fuck? <clears throat> this happens. I'm going to, yeah. guys, I'm going to get a throat regimen. Like I had to have, take some cough drops when I was in Paso Robles. <laughs> um, so, here you are. Here you, I am. You, 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 you graduate Cornell in 2019. You are ready to take on the world. You come in. You go to work. IWS, key account manager. Mm-hmm. 
pandemic hits. Yeah. What, 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 what hit, what's going through your mind? Well, I was pissed because I just moved out of my house that I was, that I grew up in. <laughs> I found a little apartment downtown. I was very excited to make my way downtown. And then I got booted out to my family's house uh, on Long Island. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was really excited and ambitious. And I had a lot of energy coming out of college. And I wanted to grow our, our distribution business because mm-hmm. that's where I saw the most opportunity where I can make an impact. And I kind of just threw my hands up there. I was like, I don't really know what to do next. But we sat down with our team and uh, my dad was amazing during that time. And we ended up having the best two years we ever had. And we doubled the size of our wholesale business because we thought it was an opportunity to bring all of the Taub family selection portfolio inside our own distribution business. And uh, that's proven to be a pretty big success. Yeah. I mean, uh, we read, I read my team, great research that, um, during the pandemic, you did, like you said, you doubled the size of your sales force, tripled sales revenue, and catapulted the organization to the forefront of fine wine distribution in New York. And I also we read that PR team. You know? Yeah, you do. Uh, you had something. Uh, I heard that you had something, aka everything to do with that. Can so like you were very giving us the modest like view, but like kind of walk us through how you sat down with your dad and and um, said, "Here's where I think we should go and what we should do." Yeah. So I don't know. My dad trusts me because I'm his son. And I kind of. That didn't work in my household. <laughs> and uh, I kind of. I kind of just. We, we were looking at and all we the weren't opportunities. talking about millions of dollars of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and we. I said, you know, you trust me with this portfolio. I think we got to take control of our own destiny. New York is such an evolved market and we're losing market share on our fine wine portfolio during COVID because so much of the business was done on premise. On premise, and yeah, yeah. You know what it's like to build relationships with retailers. You did that for 20 years. Um, let me have the opportunity to do that with our with, and, and take control and place the orders ourselves. I mean, how great would it be if I could go into a restaurant, build a relationship with a sommelier, and then show them a wine and, and place an order for them on, 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 the, on our core brands, which we didn't have in our own distribution business at the time. And he said, give it a try. And it turned out to be the most invaluable lesson. I mean, that was the best. That was my master's degree. And I may go back to business school in a few years, but that was the best education. I mean, build, trying to build a company and doubling the size of this wholesale business during COVID with a new portfolio, it's been uh, the most amazing losing experience I could have ever asked for. It's, it's special. Yeah. So you mentioned like Master Berardino was one of the new um, wines that came in in 2019. So you said new portfolio. So did you, did you acquire a bunch of new brands at that time? or? Mm, well, th- we had brands that were with a different wholesaler. Okay. And we brought them into our own oh, Okay, wholesaler. right. Gotcha, right. Because so, we had the complexities of the three-tier system. Right. Country, Com- so talk about three-tier system. I know. Like So like you can have – like you can be the importer, but then like – It'll say Taub Family Selections, but then so Taub Family Selections is the importer. Independence Wine and Spirits is the distributor. Right, but you like, but you had wines that were like you imported, but then were distributed by a third party. Third party, yeah. Talk about for people because most people don't understand it. I still don't understand it, and I live here. But like people in California really can't understand a three tiered system, and like. Yeah, the Paso Robles guys. Because, I mean, if you own a winery, you could sell. A lot of those guys sell direct in California. Yeah, yeah. But the United States has 50 different states, um, a lot of different wholesalers. Uh, you have the additional complexity of control states. and What's a control state? A control state is a state where the government. Oh, like, so state, like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania yeah, New, where Hampshire, have New Hampshire. New Hampshire, where you have. Yeah. 
where the where the liquor stores that happen to sell wine um, are state run. Exactly. Okay. okay. Then you have additional complexities like franchise states, like New Jersey, for example. Um, New Jersey or Michigan sucks. I live there, like, but it kind of sucks for that. Like, so, what's a franchise state? Because I didn't know. New I didn't know it was a franchise state. So, so. New Jersey is a franchise state because, let's say, you assign, you have a brand, or you're an importer or a winery, and you assign a wholesaler in New Jersey. Yeah. They have more or less indefinite rights to sell that wine. You can't take it away from that wholesaler once they're assigned it. And so that so then that becomes the issue like. So like there'll be a wholesaler in Jersey and like I'll just use a California because that's just where I've lived. Like somebody might make 12 wines and they bring in like three and you don't want those fucking three and you can't get the other nine. Yeah. Yeah. I love Jersey though. We have a great wholesaler <laughs> in Jersey. But <laughs> but no, literally I've, I've had like I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like. Um, well, also in California in particular, like. Because of the three-tier system, it, it sometimes makes sense for the wineries that are domestic to, you know, to sell direct. And a lot of the – particularly at the high end, a lot of those high-end Napa Valley producers or possible roadways producers right. are selling as much as they can direct to consumer because they have the ability to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're making more margin on it, so I don't blame them. No, I'm not mad at that. But then, like, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who, like – they're like they're like yo I'm, you know and they make great wines and you know whatever you feel about score get great scores but like they're like I don't have enough customers in New Jersey to warrant me spending a thousand dollars you know to ship directly to you so then I got to shit shipped to New York mm -hmm. you know um, okay so what do you, I mean essentially is that just states rights or people being territorial with a wine or there uh, the the united states has a lot of old school laws when it comes to the alcohol business that dates back to prohibition okay. but a lot of them they um they uh they protect wholesalers they protect suppliers they avoid the opportunity for people to monopolize in this industry it's it's not a bad thing but there's old there're old school laws that date back to yeah, prohibition yeah i mean you know? I th essentially i mean but i mean but then and and you don't have to be but like but then you, you do end up like there's like like a lot of huge corporations now are just they just run shit like you know like you say you don't want monopolization but then like there's people who who you know the Ooh. evil empire it was once called you know yeah <laughs> yeah you know but, the, I, like for are you, like for example, are you talking about Southern? Yeah. <laughs> so no, I didn't say him. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but the, so you say evil empire, like, yep, we know who that is. <laughs> well, but the thing is, like, I mean, Southern's a great wholesaler. Like, they, no, they, they, they are. They, they built that business I, I like mean, organically and, and, and acquired yeah. uh, many different companies, including our own. To build that business. I mean, yeah. they were ahead of their time. They're still family owned. They yeah. did a very strategic merger yeah. with Glazers and yeah. they do a good job with yeah. a lot of things. No, so they do. I mean, I have a bunch credit of, to them. You yeah, know? no. It's a meritocracy, right? It is. It is, right? Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, I'm a little bit defensive sometimes when it comes to the subject just because as a fine wine distributor in New York, like our big brands like Cavett, we still have with the larger wholesalers. But sometimes some of the other fine wine distributors will say, oh, he can't sell fine wine. He's a big distributor. And I'm like, uh, he, he has big brands, and I'm like, well, that's not true. I mean, I, I, I agree. Say that that's I say I as I sit here and bitch, but like that's not true. Some like my my southern rep in California, he, he like he knew so much about he knew so much about wine. Like people, yeah, like, you know, it's not that's not it's not just out there. People aren't just 
out there to sell floor stacks. I exactly. Think, I think unless you're a liquor salesman, like if you love wine, you want your big brand to taste so you can get to taste and try those and have the opportunity to be like, you know, you got to bang on your like 10,000 cases of Cabot every quarter or whatever. But like. But, totally. But. But that's what makes the wine business go around is the business. You know, it's the cash flow, right? And then you can sell your allocated cases. So yeah. I, I, and I a small, I mean, and, and a big wholesaler was one small. They just did a really good job and were able to grow. <laughs> Ooh, I like you. Yeah. We know where Jake's going. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and you're and you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm not. I am very pro. But like, just when someone's fucking with my wine, it just I get a little. I get it. No, I get it. I mean, and, and a lot of these small guys have great freaking selections. You know. Yeah. Um, there's room for everyone, you know. The better, the more diversity there is when it comes to selections, the better. Absolutely, are, you know? absolutely. So, you said before, like you, you your family does. You've, you've been dis- importers and distributors and suppliers. Um, who made the move to get into actually um, owning vineyards? Mark with a C. Mark with a C. Yeah. All right. What was uh, what was his? Uh, I'm sure. I'm not sure, but I would think. Because you said you like to talk to your dad, um, what was his? What was kind of behind that move? He spent his whole life traveling to the greatest wineries in the world. Learned a lot from them. A lot of them became more like family than business associates or even friends. And he wanted to try and do it himself. He was fascinated by the process. He felt like he could extrapolate all the things that he's learned from the wineries that he's done business with over the past 40-plus years and do it a little bit himself. And now he's doing it, and he's doing a great job with his team out there. And I'm starting to get involved in that a little more too. But what he's doing with Saracena and Mendocino is amazing. Tell people about um, Saracena, and then let's talk a little bit about like unheralded wine regions like Mendocino, which has tons of old vines. And, tons of old vines, and, yeah. And, and been farming organically and biodynamically for its chic just because those those fucking Northern California hippie motherfuckers. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> no, it's great, though, because they've been farming the right way for a long time. We have the advantage of getting to make wine with Sauvignon Blanc that was planted in 1942 and Carignan and Grenache that was planted in 46. And the vines have stood the test of time because they've been farming the right way, you know? But uh, Saracena is a 400-acre estate. Uh, my dad bought it from John Fetzer in 2018. Uh, That's we have, an old-school name if you guys, yeah, Fetzer. Sundal yeah, Sundal Chardonnay, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah but this was kind of like the crown jewel of the Fetzer. The Fetzer brothers owned everything. There were 10 of them, and they had like thousands of acres between Lake County and Mendocino. Okay. Um, and my dad just fell in love with this property. It, Saracena was modeled and built after a winery that John went on vacation on in Tuscany and my dad spending the vast majority of his career in Italy, it filled uh, a particular niche for him. And if he was going to buy an American winery, it was going to be something that reminded him of Italy. He tried, he wants to come up with a, a brand called Marchese di Mendocino. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, it, it got to grow on you. I'm not, a, that's kind of, that's kind of, it's a kind of, I mean, it's a little tongue in cheek, but I kind of like it, Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of cheesy sometimes. I kind of, it's cheesy, it. but he's, yeah. he, it, it's dad humor. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's totally like a dad. Like, cause I'm the Marchese. Yeah. <laughs> the Mendocino. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we're replanting there right now. So we ripped out, as soon as he bought it, he ripped out a bunch of vineyards and let everything lay fallow for three years, which was a huge investment. And now we're slowly replanting. We replanted some Alicante Boucher. 
and uh, some Zinfandel, which I love, on St. George rootstock. Uh, we're planting some revolutionary clones for inland Mendocino, like Mount Eden, uh, Wenty, um, Dijon, and a little bit of Clone 4. So these are Pinot Noir clones. Shard. Shard clones. Okay, yeah, I know they, they're Burgundy. Those are Burgundian names, yes. Yep. Um, we hired uh, a new viticulturalist who has worked with Dave Ramey his whole career. We're making a little bit of wine with David now, too, who was the original consultant at Saracena. And we're replanting all five Bordeaux varietals, Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Gris. I don't know what Sauvignon Gris is, but it's supposed to be great. Yeah. It's, it, you know what's so funny? It's one of those grapes that sometimes you'll find in a war, white Bordeaux that people don't yeah. really know. Yeah. White Bordeaux is killer. I yeah. love white Bordeaux. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... My dad wants to plant a little bit of Fiano. John Luke's been to the property a couple times, and he wants to plant some Syrah on a couple hillsides. I mean, it is Mendocino, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, right. I mean, the stuff that's coming out of Mendocino right now is amazing. And for too long, like, Mendocino hasn't been at the forefront of quality in people's minds because it's been a place for big corporations to make wine, or it's been a blending or, grape. Or, exactly, or people in Napa truck the fruit down, truck plump, the fruit down. plump it down, and, like... Whatever it is, like 70% could be Napa Valley, and, and you don't even have to list other stuff, and you make your wine bigger and fuller from like us old vine stuff from places like Mendocino. Totally. And, uh, and it brings down their cost of goods. You know, county average in Napa Valley right now for Cabernet is 8500 County average for grapes in Mendocino is 2500 And we're getting these incredible old vine fruit. Uh, for it's in where and I, people talk about old vine fruit a lot, right? Yeah. What do you think old vine fruit means? Like, oh, for like a, me? Yeah. At least 80 years old, not 80? the 40, at least 80. Yeah. Yeah, at least 80. Yeah. Yeah, double what they say, like at least 80. Yeah. And, I mean, objectively, um, I want the shit that's over 100 years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. Because for me, old vines, it's like, what does that mean? Because 80's old as fuck. Like I, 80's I, old as fuck. I, I, I'm like, I, like, I hope I live to 80. Like, neither of my parents lived to 80. So 80's old. Yeah. You know, 40's not old. No. I, I was 40. I was like, shit, I'm 40. Like, it was nothing. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, 80s old. Um, 80s old. And it, I think it allows you to maximize the concentration you get out of the vine while maintaining as much acid as you can. Mm -hmm. And that's for me what old vine fruit means in terms of the character it adds to the wine. Yeah. Now, um, before we, we move on, um, uh, also you, you, you talk about – because you sent me a bottle. I haven't tried it yet. I got a – you know, you sent me a number of bottles. I got to try them. But like the Saracena Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc. Is like – something you're 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 very proud of yeah, very right. very very proud you, like um, you told me to decant it god decant it right. it's because it's slightly reductive but it's made from the lowness vineyard and it's the oldest sauvignon blanc in america oh. so it was a, a vineyard that was planted uh in 1942 with cuttings from chateau Ikem. shut the front door chateau Ikem, for those who don't know just is like known for making sweet dessert wines from sauvignon blanc and Simeon. Um, it's 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 basically a first growth essentially. It's iconic estate. I so I didn't know that. So it's Sauvignon Blanc from Akim. Sauvignon Blanc from Akim, and they also have Sauvignon on the on on the estate, which we're adding into the blend in twenty twenty. Sick, sick. Yeah, that's gonna be sick. Ten foot ten spacing. Sign me up. Train. Sign me up, Jake. I want more. Send you a bottle. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's amazing. He's got a whole bottle. Damn, Jake. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I thought I about two? bringing that today. No, we, we we're going out together, right? Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's amazing. And um, the way we talked about like like that white Bordeaux blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Simeon is just uh, special yeah. to me. Um, and so 
you have that property and also just talk to people about Lake County because I don't think most people understand that uh, Lake County was essentially Napa County it was, and then it was divided. Like Lake County is another underrated still under the radar unless you're a real wine geek right region so honestly i haven't really dealt that much with lake county okay. so i'm not you probably would know yeah. way more about lake county than me i'm more like inland mendocino so like redwood valley yeah um and like kind of just north of Healdsburg, mm-hmm. um and kind of moving over to the anderson valley and everything in between is like kind of where I'm starting to right. really Oh, yeah, yeah. And Anderson Valley is another amazing place in Mendocino. Amazing. People. I mean, that's yeah. where uh, Louis, when Louis Roeder came over here to make uh, sparkling wine, he went to Anderson Valley. Killer Pinot Chardonnay. Sick, sick. I, I love mean, that uh, stuff. Just, and I've tasted wines that our winemaker at Saracena is a superstar. His name's Alex McGregor. Um, and I've tasted wines that he made from Anderson Valley with David Ramey in 2004, 2005 from Mendocino Ridge, which is an incontinuous AVA, a lot of Syrah planted up there that's about elevation. So it's only the hilltops that are above the It looks like line. an alligator, actually. Yeah. That's fucking genius. Yeah. Um, and I've tasted them back 2004, 2005, and they're so good. Yeah. Now the fruit's really hard to get, but we're trying. We got a little bit of Pinot and Chard, um, but trying to get some of that Syrah, Petite Syrah back. Yeah, very nice. So then um, you can't, well, you could, but like on one level, you know, you can't be in the game without having some land in Napa. So talk about the property in Napa that your father acquired. Yeah, so we bought a brand called Heritance, uh, which was Bernard Bernard Bortet's original brand, uh, who was winemaker at Claude Duval. Mm. Um, which and, was a in the Judgment of Paris showed really it's like yep. another like all the cult wines, but they, like like Claude Duval, Frog, like, there's there's just wines that are just just so dope that have kind of been yeah overcome with marketing and it's all good, but like Claude Duval has just been solid. It's it's like one of the OGs. It's like Heights exactly. or Gurgit, exactly, or you know, so fucking good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we bought that that wine. Um, and over a couple iterations, we lowered production and changed it into Taub family vineyards, mm-hmm. um, where we're kind of took a little bit of a page from the French Burgundy model. And we have a village level, which is a Napa Valley Cabernet and Sauvignon Blanc, kind of a blend of what the vintage gives us. We have four single AVAs, a Howe Mountain, a Viter, uh, an Oakville Merlot from the Narcy David vineyard, which is freaking amazing. Um, and a Rutherford Cabernet from fruit that's owned by the Beckstoffer family that's mm. declassified single vineyard fruit. And then we have three single vineyards, uh, Beckstoffer, George III, Beckstoffer, Missouri Hopper, and Morris Oli Borge. Missouri Hopper is the vineyard right next to Dominus. So, Christian. Know, my yeah, love of Christian. Back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, it's an amazing vineyard, and I love the fruit that's coming off that property. Um, and how long have you guys um, – own that property and like what was your first vintage and uh 12 was our first vintage okay. uh, but we you know it's still like it's still a learning curve i mean the wines get better and better every year um they're awesome now i love them there's a, an approachability and an elegance to them that i really appreciate because a lot of napa cabernet is just it's some of it's great but i think that the what we're trying to do is showcase the diversity of terroir that's there mm-hmm. by highlighting the different avas and single vineyards you know mm-hmm which not enough people are doing. And uh, it's been awesome. Yeah. So um, 
Do you think um, trend-wise, you know, there was this big move, and there's nothing wrong with it, to make the, the best wine I can. And so you put a California appellation on it, and you just, you know, you get you just get the best fruit, and you blend it. And, sure. Um, but you said not enough people are highlighting terroir. What does that mean to, to you and to Taub family uh, selections? It's a honestly a great question because forget, people are doing are dumbing it down to California Appalachian, right? Mm-hmm. But so many people, even some of the great vineyards of Napa Valley are don't have enough fruit to do single AVA expressions mm-hmm. from specific AVAs. Mm-hmm. So they're blending it down to Napa Valley. And you don't get to taste the character of the difference in AVAs that are available in Napa Valley. I mean, there's forget about Rutherford, Oakville, um, Yonville, Coombsville, which I love. I'm loving Coombsville now, man. Coombsville is so great. Ooh. It's so great. Yeah. Um, I've been a fan of Coombsville since it was, it was like the first place that I kind of fell in love with. And actually what made me appreciate terroir in Napa Valley, that cooler climate. And I met with John Caldwell one time. It was like one of the OGs from Coombsville. And it was one of the greatest meetings I've ever had since I started. Um, but uh, just in showcasing 100% bottlings from specific AVAs, mm-hmm. especially with our AVA series, the wines are mostly vinified the same way. So, you know, we're using the same oak regiment. Um, and... You see the difference when you taste it, and you see the character that the wine that what shines through through the terroir. You see the interpretation that the terroir gives you, right? And I love that. So we're trying to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, a <clears throat> lot of lot a lot a lot a lot of wines across the portfolio. Yeah. Um, but since you joined the business and things just opened back up, you just at Vin Italy. What 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 uh, is there a place? Even going back to when you were a kid, maybe traveling with your your, your parents, like like kind of what's your? Do you have like a, a place you would just love to visit? You go anywhere in the world, and it's just like it's like a wine home for you. Just like ah, yeah. Well, for me, you go home to home with a couple places. You go from New York to Israel. When you're in Israel, when you get Israel, you're always home. Yeah. Um, and the other place, I mean, honestly, in the past couple of years, I've been traveling to Alsace a few times. I've been three times to go visit the Trimbach family. And I become really close with the son, with Jean's son, Julien, who's making the wines now and living in the winery of the house. And that place is just a fairy tale land. That's now, that's, uh, Clota St. Hugh? Clota St. Hugh. So, like, like, there's, again, like I said, I have different... Tell people so we we you know I literally and before you I had a German wine importer and his German Rieslings but mm-hmm. like talk about Alsace Riesling and talk about Trimbach in particular yeah. man that's just yeah so Trimbach family's been around uh, since the 1600s yeah it's like Alsace. 16, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're absolutely amazing. Um, and it's incredible coming from a family business and then looking at their family business. Like, it's amazing that uh, my family business is still around, but we've also only had one person in every generation around. And at Trimbach, they've had cousins, brothers. Like, for right now, you have Jean and Pierre. Jean is kind of the global market director, and Pierre is the winemaker. Pierre's daughter is Anne, who's now the new global market director, and Jean's son is the winemaker, so they switch places. <laughs> um, and they just find a way to work together, and it's so amazing. And they're one of the great white wine producers of the world. Clos St. Hune is the greatest Riesling in the world and one of the greatest white wines of in in the world. The I had last time I was there, we had an eighty five Clos St. Hune among many other vintages. And I just remember being like, How could a wine that's this old taste this fresh? Um, 
and it's amazing. Uh, Alsace has been confusing to a lot of people because there's different styles. Some are sweet, some are dry. Trimbach is always dry, with the exception of the dessert wines. Yeah. Um, and that's important for people to know. And the the Trimbachs have been instrumental and amazing in bringing Riesling to the global wine consumer and traveling around the world, showcasing what this incredible grape could do. And it's a it's a unbelievable place to visit and, rep, and a great winery represent. Yeah, I remember it was one of the Psalm movies where uh, Raj Parr they asked him like he's like close to him like 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 just like just like without a doubt it was like close to him like greatest white wine in the world just 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 and <clears throat> tell people a little bit like do they have also those treacherous like hillsides that like you could fall and die break your neck trying to farm type not stuff. as much like I mean in Alsace they do have hillsides like yeah. Frederick Emil which is a and another one of the great wines of the world um, is a blend of two Grand Cru's, and those are relatively steep. Close okay. St. Hugh is in the Rosacker Vineyard. Mm-hmm, okay. um, it's not as steep, um, but it's it's not like like if you go to Jean Luc's winery, like that place is like you could I mean, you, <laughs> like you, you gr- can't fall it's like a, like a, like a yeah. roller coaster, like ah yeah <laughs> yeah, um, and so you know. Like you get to like you've grown up around these icons, right? Like you said, like like Jean Luc, you know, who uh, is a pioneer. You know, um, wines we had were amazing that day, um, and I just love characters. I I think winemakers typically, they're not all of them, but when you come across a character, they it's like times a thousand. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, he's in that class for me. <laughs> Um, so, um, this is always hard. Um, but do you lean towards a region? Like, like you brought this beautiful Italian sparkling wine, like, like what's your go-to country? Like, do you have like a go-to, like, do you find yourself drinking more of like Italian wine or French? I mean, what, what kind of like, what's on a weekly basis? Like, what would you say? Like your, your kind of go-to is. It's it's such a tough question. Yeah. Um, it depends on the week. I've been drinking a lot of bubbles recently, honestly. But I I, I love to explore. I mean, I guess I'm I'm uh, it's it's part of my generation. Yeah, you would have to, man. Yeah, but yeah. I, it's it's the it's the best way to learn about wine. And I mean, I know a good amount, but I'm still have a, a whole world to learn. And the best way to learn is to drink and not only taste through. I mean, I taste our producers. I drink them every day, but to understand what else is out there and understand what other people are doing and from all regions of the world. I mean, I did a tasting a few weeks ago with Lisa Granick on Georgian wines. Yeah, she's um, awesome. We love her. Oh, she's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just enjoyed, you know, diversity is everything, you yeah. know, it and uh, the wine world and is, is in terms of the products that we represent is there's, there's hundreds of thousands of wines to be able to choose from. And yeah. so it's not dogmatic, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Um, <clears throat> So here you are. You're the fourth generation of uh, Taubes to be in this business. Oh, and I want to back up. So Israel's home. Do, do you guys ever do you want to do you import any wines from Israel? Reconati. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty cool. We have a, a winery from Israel. I mean, Reconati, but they have a vineyard called David's Vineyard. Okay. Which is, it's it's. It, it was named after my grandfather. Also, might have been named after the king. I was like, maybe King David. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah. it depends. I mean, okay. yeah. So you know what? So I'm going to assume 
if you're a uh, Hebrew descent, like if you're named David, you're named after King David. So yeah, it's named after you. It's father. named after yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so tell us about Reganati. So they, the David's Vineyard, which is beautiful Cabernet, is on the border of Lebanon. And when they harvest it every year, they harvest it over one day and they call the, uh, I mean, the uh, the government and they have a ceasefire for the day because so they could manually harvest the grapes. And amazing. so that it's, it's an amazing story. Amazing, yeah. yeah. No, because I know people like, uh, um, the, I know the the quality level of wines from Israel has grown. I think with all the strife, people forget that it's a Mediterranean nation. So it, of course, it's gonna make beautiful wines. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed wines from Lebanon lot, and lots of old vines in like Lebanon and lots Israel. Lots of you old know? wines, you totally. Know? And but also, I mean, it's a warmer climate, so it's easier to farm properly there. And again, yeah. they've been doing it the right way for a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the wines are awesome. I wish I got to drink more of them, but I'm going to start because everything's getting so expensive and they're not just yet. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, so before I went down that little just tangent, I was going to say, so here you are, you're the fourth generation, um, and pandemic hit and your father trusted you and you made some moves that really increased the business. Um, I'm sure it's going to happen gradually, but where do you see the direction going for your family's uh, businesses? It's a good question. Um, it's tough to answer. I mean, I think also uh, when I said that one of the reasons why we're still around and why we're still growing is because of our 360 degree view. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other reason why we're still around is because we think for the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want our businesses to keep growing organically. I want to maintain the relationships that we have, grow new ones, continue to do things the right way. Um, and I, I think that, you know, new dreams will come as, as we continue to grow. I mean, do I have a direction exactly where I want the business to go in 10 years? Not exactly. Um, I want to continue to grow our wholesale operation in New York from a fine wine perspective. I want to, on the Palm Bay side, which I'm not as involved in yet, I want to see those brands continue to grow and develop new ones to become uh, staples on the shelves of every retailer in America. I want to continue to grow our spirits portfolio, which is beautiful, between Jacob's Pardon and Drum Shambo Gunpowder Gin and a couple of other exciting new things coming down the line and then continuing to be a grower and farming the right way and and making quality wines first over anything in California is going to be exciting. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm taking it day by day, but with a vision towards the long term. Yeah. So with your degree in enology and, mm-hmm. and, and like, is it, do you ever plan on making your own wine? You just like, I'll make a barrel. Uh, or have you done that yet? I mean, I mean, no, not really. I mean, I I, I meet with Alex, who's our winemaker all the time. Russell Bevan just signed on to make our wines from uh, Napa Valley. And then we're also making a little bit of wine with Jesse Katz. Um, I think that is really important to understand. Oh, yeah, we talked about Jesse. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, we talked about it. the tasting, yeah. Shout out Aperture fucking, what's the one? Devil Proof. Devil Proof Malbec. Sexy. Oof. That wine fucked me up the first time I had it. What you, did you think it was? No, it fucked me up because, like, literally I had it and then, like, and it was just, like, I was just on one that week. So, like, I had it. It blew me away. And so I was like, well, what am I going to have tonight? And then, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, it was complete. But, like, I like I had a Turley and I was like, this is nothing. There's no flavor. Like, <laughs> like a wine that could make Turley be like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Like, it was just like, <laughs> like, yeah, that, the next few bottles I had, I was right? like, I was like, oh, yeah. this is, I'm like, 
I should have just opened a three dollar bottle of wine because yeah. like what a waste to open these <laughs> bottles after the first time I had it. Yeah, no, and and he's uh, he's so I, yeah, I can't wait. Got to I got to keep fucking around with Jake, man. Got to fucks with Jake. He's got the. We're going to California. Connects. We're going to California, dude. We need to go to Cal. We uh, listen. We'll talk about that because we are. We talked about it. I want to go up to Saracena when it visit Alex. But also, um, don't forget the outpost, my grandma's restaurant, Sonoma yes, Square. Yes, exactly. A great speakeasy. Yeah, to- I love speakeasies. Yeah, that's gonna be. We'll drink some uh, some gin. We'll drink some whiskey. Yeah, it'll be ugly, but but really cool ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <clears throat> You know, you, you talked about how it was like a 20-year courtship between Master Berardino. Is there a, a, a dream wine that you'd like to add to the, the, the portfolio, something you have your eye on? Or? I have my eye on a few things. I've already started those courtships, but I will. I got to keep it close to the chest or else yeah, the keep, listeners know, are going to... You know, you know, you know. But yeah, there's a lot of wines <laughs> that I'd love to represent. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even there's wines that I, I'd love to represent that I know that I'm not. But uh, it's great meeting new people Um, and just visiting wineries and tasting with uh, winemakers every year and getting to know them. And even if you're not looking to do business, it's fun and it makes you better at this job. Yeah. So um, one last question. We'll let you get out of here because you got to get on a plane and go to your sister's graduation. I do. Um, And this is going to be it's going to be maybe two last questions. Maybe I'll debut this with you. But the first question is. there's a lot of wines in your family's portfolio. You've had a lot of wines in your life. You're like six years old and they're like tasting notes. But like, is there a bottle you remember where you like, when you got like either your tasting notes are on, but you like understood what your family did. Like you tasted this and you're like, Oh my God, we bring this to the world. Is, is there a bottle like that for you? A standout bottle? Um, there's a bottle I think that made me fall in love with wine. It was actually we represent the Domaine Baron de Rothschild portfolio, so yeah. we represent all of the Lafitte portfolio and Saskia's wines. Um, and they have a property in Pomerol that I didn't work at because I worked at Christians um, called L'Evangile. And oh, I know Chateau L'Evangile, oh. beautiful. And uh, I remember having that wine at the winery during on premiere, and I was just like, <laughs> you know, beauty. And that was one of the first wines that made me fall in love with wine. Mm. Mm. All right, so we're gonna wait for well, we're gonna wait for season five, but we we messed around with this one in Paso Robo, so I'm gonna do it with you, okay? And this is it's not even complete off the top of my head. So um, let me give you three grapes. Um, you have to marry one. One has to be your mistress, mm-hmm. and the other one you got to ditch. You got to dump. Yep. All right. Pinot Noir, Nebbiolo, Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a great question. <laughs> who who are you marrying? Who's your mistress? And who are you ditching? I'm gonna Cabernet is gonna be my mistress. Okay. Nebbiolo is gonna be my wife. And I'm bailing on Pinot Noir. I love it, but the greatest Pinot Noirs in the world are Unfortunately, I can't afford them. <laughs> and if Jake Taub can't afford them, <laughs> that that goes to what tomorrow. But I love it. Thank you for playing along, Jake Taub. Um, <clears throat> thank you so much for being here, man. I mean, this like I love how we met. I love uh, 
what you're doing. I love, I really love what you're doing in wine, man. You're bringing like you're the next generation. Um, you you come from a position where you can make a difference, and you're totally doing that with with your team and 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 the type of wines you're bringing forth. So thank you for that. Tell everybody how they can be a part of what you're doing, uh, Tao Family Selections, IWS, where they can find you guys. Uh, the good restaurants and the good stores. Turn the <laughs> back of the bottle around. If you see Palm Bay or Tao Family Selections on the back, it's bound to be good. There you go. And we'll make sure we put all the links there, their uh, their information, and we'll put even we'll put Jake's uh, Instagram handle. He's uh, he's got a girlfriend, but he's he's a good looking guy. He's good wine, he's good meal. But back off, ladies. <laughs> And for all you listeners, please don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you're going to find the info on the wine we drank, uh, the cool links, the things we talked about, the information on my guest today. It was Jake Taub. Um, And until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers out there. Peace. Thanks, MJ. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.